You are listening to Here Comes the Sin Podcast, where you'll learn about topics related to career development, improving money management, and wellness. I will cover actionable advice for the everyday hustler. Vamos con todo. If you're ready to pursue your dreams and visions, then you are where you need to be. I will be sharing the most embarrassing moments, difficult times, and strategies on how to overcome your biggest fears. Whether you're just starting college or joining the workforce or have your own business, you have a community here. I am your host, Marisol Ibarra, a first-gen graduate and professional traveler and coffee lover. Here comes the sun with new opportunities to become a better you. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode on Here Comes the Sun podcast. Today, I have a very special guest with me today. I have Noelia Sanchez, who is the founder and CEO of Northworthy Lab, whose main mission is to advance women of color into leadership positions. Welcome to the podcast, Noelia. Hello, Marisol. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me on. Yes. Um, so for my listeners, I really want to give a little bit more background on Noelia and how she has played um, so many great information and I, how I met. I want to share a little bit how I met Noelia. So Noelia, um, I met her through Hope, which was a program that I did when I was entering the workforce. Noelia does amazing workshops and amazing content. And when I was creating this podcast, she was one of the first people that really motivated me and inspired me to start this podcast. She she coached me and she was like, you can do this. And she has so much expertise on, on this. So I was like, Noelia needs to come and be a guest on, on my episode, on my on my podcast. Uh, so, so yes, Marisol, it's, it's so great to get to connect with you in this way. And it's always been so special to get to see you, uh, in the audience at these different hope events. And so when we got to do a little work one-on-one, it just felt really nice to be able to see all the great things that you had planned. And I'm so happy and excited that you went for it, that you started the podcast. So this is so great. Yeah, I I can say that all the stuff that you covered in the Young Professional Summit and then when you covered on the on our college leadership program about um, negotiations, I was like, I need to have Noelia on my podcast. Like, I'm going to make this one of my biggest goals. So I'm really, really happy to have you here and, and being able to share so much great information that, that you have provided to me. And now I want to provide to my listeners. So Noelia, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, a little bit about your background, and, and maybe a little bit about your, your experience entering the workforce because you have an amazing story. <laughs> oh, yes. No, totally. Yeah. So uh, I grew up in the Bay Area. Um, I grew up in San Jose specifically, and now I live in San Francisco. Uh, I think I'm a California girl through and through. I I, I, I love visiting and traveling and vi- and going to other places, but I think for sure I'm, I'm a California girl. I just love it here. Um, but yeah, so I went to uh, UCSB. I went to school in Santa Barbara and my degrees in linguistics, which is totally different than the work that I do now. So um, folks always find it really interesting when I tell them that my degrees in something, uh, yeah, so different. So um, the majority of my career, my background is in technology. So I started doing 
uh, web design, multimedia design, video editing. Uh, that was really my first big job out of college. Uh, and then along the way, lots of twists and turns. And I started also doing leadership development work as well, uh, which let me helped me and let me incorporate some of the communications work I had been doing. Uh, and so, gosh, there's lots of different things in my career that I've done. Um, so yeah, we could talk about some specifics about career transition or uh, uh, you mentioned like at the beginning. So I will share a story about, uh, you know, what it was like to get my first job and what it felt like. Um, does that sound like a good thing to talk about? <laughs> yeah, that sounds really good to talk about, um, Noelia. And I am really excited. So, you know, I am a first-gen graduate and now professional, like one or two years into the workforce. So when entering the the workforce, I know that interviewing can be very, very intimidating because you don't really know how much or what to say in interviews. So I was just wondering if you can start with how we should approach and what kind of mentality we should have when when interviewing and how can we be successful yes so definitely you know interviewing is one of those things that the more that you do it you really do get better at it and it takes practice so i always tell people to have a little bit of patience with themselves especially at the beginning that if you go into an interview and you feel really awkward and strange and it doesn't quite work out the way you imagine it going uh be be kind to yourself you know give yourself some grace that you will get better um, along the way um, but something i will say is that uh, it's it's really important to practice, right? Like I think um, folks think that uh, having these interview conversations, it's just like hanging out and talking with your friends or with your family. Um, but I, I really think it's important to practice the words that you're going to say, the sentences that you're going to say. It really um, helps you get into that space where when you walk in, you can kind of rely on muscle memory of like, this is how I answered this question because I've heard it before. And these are the words that I'm able to like use for that. So literally practicing the interview with your family and friends, having them ask you interview questions is super helpful. Um, but the other thing is uh, really doing your research and prepping for these interviews. I think we kind of undervalue that. Um, and it's important to go and gather as much research and information as you can for um, the interviews that you're going on. I imagine, you know, like, for you, Money Soul, probably that was a big thing is, um, you know, going out there and, and finding out everything you can about that particular role or position. And, and something I think that we don't do um, well enough is that we, uh, you know, we tend to lean on our friends and family first, of course, just like I mentioned, like for practicing our interviews. Uh, but the, the, the thing that could happen that potentially happens is that we tend to rely on them also for the information about the kinds of jobs and salaries that we're asking for. And the drawback there is that we might not be getting the full picture. Like we need to really diversify the information that we gather so that we're understanding like, you know, the folks that, uh, you know, maybe uh, it's, we have a colleague or a friend that um, is making uh, you know, a certain amount of money, but then actually that's not the top of the range. And because we're only relying on information from our family and friends, 
we sort of hold ourselves back because we're not looking at that wider audience of people um, within a certain position. So we have to go outside of our immediate circles to gather info around these roles and salaries that we want to potentially have. Um, does that make sense? No, yeah, that makes a lot, a lot of sense because, you know, sometimes when you're when you're looking for for the job or you're looking for a position or looking into a role, you'll 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 kind of reach out to like the people closest to you because that's who you feel most most comfortable because that role is just so new to you and you have all this information and or sometimes it's just the fact that you want an opportunity. So sometimes you're like I'm just going to see what my mom thinks or what my sister thinks. But I think being able to have, a, a, how you said it, a wider context of what um, the pay is or what the roles entail or how many years of experience people in this role already have and how likely are you to get that position. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yes, yes. It's it's so important for us to to widen the net of the people that we're talking to when we're trying to enter the workforce, so we can get the full range of understanding of of what uh, what the opportunity really is all about. So this might be uh, asking our friends and family to connect us with other people, or it might even be us just cold reaching out to somebody for informational interviews, which I know you also are a big um, advocate of, to be able to get that information that um, that we wouldn't necessarily have within our immediate circle. We want to make sure we're fully informed about the opportunities. Yeah. And then, um, Noelia, do you think um, when preparing for uh, an interview, I know you said that first things first, you need to be kind to yourself because interviewing and trying to find a job can be really, really, really hard. It's just, you know, after you graduate college, you have this assumption that, oh my God, I'm going to find a job real fast and, and it, everything's going to work out in my in my favor. And unfortunately, that's not true. Like entering the workforce is a whole nother level than when in college, like in college is like, you're learning how to be successful, pass your classes and or whatever the situation might be. But then when you get it into the workforce, it's, it's so, so different. So is there any questions that, you know, that we should know about or that we should like know that they will all be, that you always ask in interviews that like we should kind of start prepping on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. So uh, yeah, I mean, just what you're saying about that feeling of, of making that, um, you know, first steps into the workforce, like I can remember it so clearly, like I, I totally just had this different mindset of what it was all about, like coming out of school, I, I, I wanted to treat getting a job the same way that I taught, uh, I treated doing, you know, well in school, like you, you keep your head down, you do your work and you get your good grades or you focus on school and you get ahead. And, uh, that's kind of what I thought it would be like uh, once I got a job. And then I realized that it's totally not, not that right. Like you have to, uh, you have to be able to perform at a top level and you have to be able to demonstrate your results. And you also have to be able to uh, connect with people. Uh, And those were things that I didn't quite have the skills yet that I, that I needed. Right. Like, so when I got into the workforce, I made the mistake of just focusing on my work and thinking that if I did a good job, people would notice me. And, And that really wasn't the case. Right. Like I was lucky to end up in a, in a really great company where I had a lot of really great mentors. Um, but 
it it took a while for me to really figure out how to stand out and and be present and be visible within the organization so that my good work would get recognized, right? Like it didn't matter that I was doing a great job. It was just sort of expected of you. Uh, and um, I was just being overlooked for so many things because I didn't know how to really stand out and brand myself. Um, but yeah, so making that transition from the mindset that you have in school of just keeping your head down and doing good work to then going into an environment where you have to learn how to thrive and brand yourself and, and demonstrate your value. It's it's a tough transition. Uh, But thinking specifically about the interview process and the questions that you want to prepare for, you know, a couple that I think are really important is to be able to have those receipts, right? Like when they ask you about something that you can do, you got to be able to back it up and demonstrate that you can do it, right? So think about even if it's projects within school or maybe volunteer or community work that you've done, you want to be able to be really specific and give really good examples of your skill set and what you're capable of. I think that's one of the most valuable things because everyone can kind of talk to talk, right? Like everyone can uh, read up on how to do a good interview, but it's the people that are able to demonstrate their value are the ones that really make the biggest impact. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's being able to to be like a good storyteller and saying like, I've done all of these things and this is how I'm going to be able to contribute to your team because I have all these experiences. And sometimes, you know, when you're, when you're like entering the workforce, you might not have like that experience like from from like a previous job because you're just coming out of school, out of school. So make sure that you provide, I guess, a lot of information that you did when you were in school, like either volunteer work and and and, and all that information. But I do want to go back a little bit to informational interviews versus a regular interview. I am a big, big advocate for informational interviews just because they they you're able to see what um a job kind of consists of you're able kind of to learn about the the work culture but um can you explain a little bit more um the difference between like an informational interview and a regular interview noelia yeah absolutely so uh the informational interviews are interviews that you might initiate yourself versus someone reaching out to you for an interview for a specific position where the outcome may or may not be employment right so the informational interview is generally initiated by the person that's interested in getting a position somewhere and you reach out to someone within that organization to find out more about either the company the culture or a specific role Uh, And so I really love them, too. I think they're wonderful for getting your foot in the door, um, because what's happening in that informational interview is that you're not only gathering info and learning about this company, but you're also potentially building a wonderful relationship with somebody. And so hopefully the person that you um, reach out to for that informational interview, if there was, um, you know, someone that maybe introduced you through your network and they, uh, you know, decided to say yes to your info interview, it's because they knew somebody that knew you as well. And so there's a Already that little hint of, um, you know, personal connection there, which is great. That's usually how these uh, um, 
interviews get connected. Uh, and, and so the big value there is that you can build this relationship with this individual. And if you make a really good impression on them, even if there isn't a, a role with you for you specifically um, in that in that organization at the moment, uh, if you make a really good impact on them, uh, then potentially they're going to remember you when something comes up, right? So if you keep that relationship going and you make sure to check in with them and let them know what you're up to or you know new things that you're working on, new ideas, uh, keep nurturing that relationship, there is opportunity to then grow that into an opportunity somewhere. So that's why I really like them is because of that relationship building element to it. Yeah, for sure. And I think now more than ever with, you know, with the pandemic and the recession we are currently facing, I think informational interviews are so important because I know a lot of the students that that graduated after me are having a lot, a lot of trouble a lot it's really hard to get a job right now because there's not a lot of jobs and and it's just really really hard so I really am a big you know proponent of informational interviews because it also allows you to you know how you said gather all that information and being able to say you know like keep if you build that relationship and they connect with you like if an opportunity opens, like they automatically kind of think of you like, oh, I really like met this person and I really connected. And I think there will be like a good, um, like a good job for this role. So I think informational interviews open, open a door and open, uh, an opportunity. Um, do you have like any questions or anything for our listeners that they should be asking in an informational interview or how do you even get started? Should they just like, send a cold email. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, cold emails are probably not the best route only because people, um, if you think about people that are in positions of influence and power, they tend to get a lot of that. Right. And so it can be really hard to get someone's attention that way. Ideally, you want to work your network. And um, what that what I mean by that is think about your immediate circle, the people that would say yes to you in an instant, uh, ask them to connect you with somebody. And then when you connect with that person and you start building that relationship, then imagine your network sort of is growing at that point, right? Like you have now new people that will say yes to you in an instant. And so now you ask them to connect you with somebody. So it takes some time to start building up that, uh, that network of people that you can connect you to um, people of influence, uh, but it's well worth it, right? Like, so I think that's something that I see lots of folks get frustrated with is that they want to find an in to something really fast without doing the work, you know, putting in the hard work ahead of time. Um, but you have to, right? Like if, if you really want to get into a large organization, um, but you don't have a direct connection in at the moment, you've got to work your circle and until you get that uh, introduction. And think of it as like the six degrees of separation, right? Like it's pretty much true. You could always find your way through. It just takes a little bit of time and effort to make it through those six layers if you have to. Uh, but that really is the best way to go. Uh, cold emails, uh, cold outreach, certainly some people do it and have success. But generally, I find that the personal introduction is going to get you a lot further. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it just, 
I guess people trust, like, you know, that they connected you through a person that they knew. So it's like, okay, it's not like, there's a certain connection level. But I think, you know, building relationships and networking is something, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a learned, um, I guess habit because when I started the workforce, I was having so much trouble networking. I was just like, I just feel that every time I network, it feels really transactional and I didn't really know how to, how to like overcome it. And I just, there was moments where like a couple months where I was like, I'm not going to network because I just feel very transactional. Like, like I'm doing something for in return but do you have any tips for somebody that also has you know trouble with with networking and and starting oh yeah oh my gosh yes it can be so tough like I remember that's one of the the skills I would say that took me the longest to figure out uh and that I realized that um you know, so many people, when they first get into their jobs, into the workforce, uh, there's a lot of people that actually learn this skill through their um, through their parents or through their communities that they grew up in, right? And so um, it, uh, I've seen some research that shows that this has to do with the differences in folks' um, upbringing and their background uh, with class. And so folks that are from certain classes, they tend to not have the same skill set, social networking skill set as folks that come with, uh, you know, other positions of power and leadership um, within their class level, right? So if we think lower middle class families don't necessarily have access to these same opportunities to learn these skills. And so when we then enter the workforce, it's almost like we're kind of lost because there's all these other folks that maybe like their parents, uh, you know, were in these very high powered influential positions that they were always networking. And so their children naturally were in these environments where they were exposed to it or, or uh, learned to do it themselves. Right. Uh, And so myself coming from a lower middle class family, once I got into the workforce and I was working at this big corporation, uh, I I totally didn't get it. Like I didn't understand how to connect with people in my mind. I was like, don't bother these folks, you know, be humble, be quiet. Don't, don't make a lot of noise. Like, you know, I, I always had this very kind of, um, I, I was playing small, you know, now we Mm -hmm. hear the term like playing big and, and, and I was actually playing small, but in my mind, I was kind of brought up to be that way. Like I was brought up to be polite and to be quiet and uh, not rock the boat. And so when I was then in this corporate environment where everybody kind of would have these really, you know, instant conversations with small talk with strangers that they didn't know, or if they got caught in the hallway by an executive, instead of shying away and looking the other way, like I did, they would stop them and and have a conversation with them. And so for me, uh, that was a skill that I had to learn. And when I realized that it was a skill that I could learn, I realized the power of it. And so I intentionally made the effort to sort of break those habits that I had learned culturally and, and within my environment growing up, uh, sort of break those patterns and habits and push myself outside of it. So it's definitely um, tricky at first because it's you're you're going against the grain of what you've been taught and what you know uh and it feels really (laughs) uncomfortable uh and but then i started to realize that there's elements of again our culture and our upbringing um i'm 
come from a Mexican family and there's elements of our culture that's really powerful and that we can highlight in the same aspect, right? Like, because we are a really, uh, you know, loving and community driven people, right? So why not leverage that excitement and that energy that we bring when we're thinking about community and thinking about connecting and family, uh, bring that into that other space too. So I stopped thinking about it as like, these are executives, these are people of influence that I shouldn't bother and that I should be humble and shy away from. And I instead took the approach of, I've got a lot to bring. Uh, This is a community that I'm working in, you know, this workplace. And let me just bring some of this like flavor and like this energy of excitement of meeting people and enjoying and like energy around that, right? So that really helped me is just by simply making that mindset shift of, these are my people because I'm part of this community now. And so I can treat it like I treat my people at, at home or my friends. Yeah, I I can completely agree. And and when you said about, you know, our upbringings and not being coming from like a lower class or like on the middle class, it's 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 different compared to like your colleagues who who their parents are doctors and lawyers and they were like they brought them to like networking events when they were growing up compared to our like our parents just they just didn't have that that opportunity to do so so I think um the when you said like being quiet and being and being small and just having like a good work ethic that was that was what was ingrained in me as well but then you know, it, it was it's different now when we enter the workforce because we no longer have to be that. We can we can bring our whole selves into the conversation because we bring value, like you said. You know, we have very good um how you said community and we know what it means to be part of a community. And sometimes we need to bring that to the corporation or the work that we do because our perspective is important and that's what shifts you know the the even the office culture in 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 whatever you know role you are so i think um that was just very impactful and i and i just really connected when when you said that and i think um when you said playing big and playing small i think one of your one of your biggest book recommendation was from playing big with tara Moore. and and that's one of my favorite books and i really appreciate you <laughs> recommending that book Yes, I love that book. I think it's wonderful. She does such a great job of laying out uh, these these really specific things that as women, we tend to fall back on and are the things that are holding us back um, that we don't even realize it in the moment, right? Like she does such a good job of uh, articulating it and helping us see that that's something that we can overcome. So definitely, I, I recommend it for everyone, especially when you're uh, sort of making that transition from being a student into being in the workforce. It's really, really uh, a really good book to help you make that transition. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, I read it exactly at that point when I was mm-hmm. transitioning <laughs> into the workforce. And then how you said it, like she articulates the way that you're like yep this is happening to me but then she's like she quickly turns it around but this is what you can do you know to to make that change because there was there were statements where I was like yeah I'm doing this right now entering the workforce I'm playing small like I'm not speaking up I'm not doing these things but then when she says like do it now because there's another thing about like being such a high achiever when you're in in high school and in college and then you're also trying to be a high achiever when you get a get into into the work sector 
but it doesn't always have to be a high achiever. Like you have to be more, you have to be more present. You have to be able to form relationships when you're in, in the workspace. Mm-hmm. Yes, no, definitely. I, I definitely recommend it for everybody that, to check it out if you haven't read it already. And she does a lot of really great um, sort of kind of like workshops and uh, group coaching and and things online too. So definitely check out her website. Yeah, for sure. Well, now I kind of want to pivot a little bit more into branding and kind of why is it important when you're entering the workforce, Noelia, to start branding yourself? Like, do you have um, any tips for somebody that, you know, is just entering the workforce and is trying to like navigate everything. But I know that branding is such an important part of like building a portfolio and like standing out pretty much. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, it's, it's one of those things that we, we don't really, again, learn it when we're in school, right? They don't necessarily teach you that. (laughs) Yeah, they don't teach you about this stuff. And and so you end up having to learn it on your own. And uh, I I really think it's, it, it comes down to being able to understand who you are, what you're all about, and what it is that you want to be known for. Uh, like, what do you, what kind of an impact do you want to make on the world? Uh, and, and so those are all really big questions that uh, honestly take a lifetime to answer. Uh, but I think that from the res- introspective work that you do in trying to answer those questions, that you're you're then able to have the outcome of having a really great personal brand uh, because you can define, the- those are the things that define the personal brand, right? Like some people think it's just about your, um, it's just your, your reputation or what people think of you or uh, yeah, your portfolio, your work. Um, but it's really deeper than that. It's really about why you do what you do uh, and the impact that you want to make on the world. That's really what makes up your personal brand. And sure, all the other stuff is mixed into it. uh, But until you make the time to think about those things, it's going to be tough to really um, kind of stand out unless you have clarity around um, those, those questions. And, and and trust me, like it's something, like I said, it takes a lifetime to answer those questions. And sometimes you have the answer at the moment, like you might have some clarity around where you are now in your life. And then maybe in a couple of years, it changes, right? Like maybe in the moment, you're all about this one particular thing. And then through experience, through uh, growth, through learning, it shifts and it changes and that's okay, right? Like as human beings, we have uh, endless potential. And so I think it also changes over time as well. And being okay with that is something um, that we that we should also be comfortable with. Yeah, for sure. Because in, in like you can say like in the, in the world that we live now and like just being on the internet, like they're like, oh, like branding, they always throw this word around. And, and as first chance, like what does it even mean to be, to be, to have a brand or like to to stand out and stuff but i think you make it super simple and super like doable to just kind of ask yourself like what kind of impact do i want to make in the world and kind of if i'm doing uh, if you're in the workforce like does this the work i do kind of align with that and then i think that's where you're like able to to start right noelia 
Yeah, yeah. And and uh, it even can be a, a simpler question at the very beginning where it's like, what am I good at? What do I like doing? You know, it could be the it could be simply those two things at the beginning where you might say, you know, I'm really good at uh, systems. I'm really good at figuring out how to get something done on time and on budget. Right. And that actually is a really unique skill. Like not everybody is capable of doing that. And so you might take really great uh like a lot of pride in that work that you do and you may also discover that you uh really really love um you know working with a specific type of um you know organization right like you may really be passionate about education right and so then you you find this intersection between those two things so maybe you're you're great at running timelines and budgets and projects and you're really passionate about education right so the intersection of those two things then is something that's unique to you. Uh, and it could be, it's like imagining those little Venn diagrams, right, from school. It's like trying to find your bubbles. You know, what am I good at? What do I like doing? Uh, and then matching that up with, you know, what your organization needs wherever you're working. Uh, and then that's kind of what makes you uniquely you and you develop your brand around it. People will then begin to know you because if you start saying, I like doing this and I'm good at this, they're going to remember that. And then when it comes to a new project that's coming up and perhaps, uh, you know, maybe if somebody that's maybe working in city government and they may be in a totally different department, but they remember that so-and-so is really passionate about education. Uh, and so this unique project comes up and they need someone to be the project manager on it. Uh, and so then they remember also that you're really good with leading um, projects like that, you know, keeping things on budget and on time. They'll remember that stuff because you've been talking about it. Uh, and so that's the value of having a personal brand that then opportunities will then present themselves that are better aligned to what you're good at and what you like doing. Yeah, for sure. And I think that is so important to know, Noelia, in the beginning when entering entering the workforce, because there's so many things you got to learn, right? When you're entering the workforce, but sometimes you get lost on, on trying to learn everything and you start kind of like losing losing your like your purpose and your why when you don't have that type of clarity or you don't have that type of 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 goals and say like I want to be known for this or just the fact of saying like you know what I truly enjoy doing this like I lose track of time when I do this you know mm -hmm. and being able to really pinpoint that information and being able to say if they give me this work I really enjoy it so that kind of gives you like uh, uh like saying like i would like to work on this when like your managers ask you i would like to work on this or if maybe your job the one you have now doesn't allow for that then maybe that's also an opportunity for you to look for other organizations that do more of of that work but i think going back to to finding what you're good at and what you enjoy is is really important Yes. And, and for folks that are at early in their careers, you most likely are having these one-on-one -on -one conversations with your manager or your boss, right? Like we're probably getting uh, familiar with what they call, you know, that one-on-one -on -one meeting that you have with folks. Uh, and it's basically, you know, just with your higher ups, you get that opportunity every once in a while to just talk with them. And they may or may not ask you about your future plans and goals. If they're a good manager, they will be asking you about these things. <laughs> 
But even if they're not, you should take the initiative to share the things that you're interested in and that you enjoy doing, right? So even when they just check in with you and they say something as casual of like, how's it going? Uh, you should always be ready and think about ways that you could say, yeah, you know, I've um, been working on X, Y, Z, and I've really enjoyed doing Y. Uh, and by just articulating that to them, it doesn't have to to be in anything formal or, or extra special. It's just in those casual conversations that you're actually able to make the most impact. So definitely think about what you would say if you were maybe, you know, in the backseat of an Uber with your boss on a way to a meeting and they just happen to ask you, how's it going? The thing you should tell them is the thing you want to be doing in the future. Don't just update them on a project, right? Like mm -hmm. we we make that mistake of just saying, oh, yeah, I got X, Y, Z done and you have such and such meeting tomorrow, right? Like don't waste that moment uh, on something, you know, as like a current project. Use it to tell them about what you like doing and what you want to be doing in the future. Yeah. And that is such amazing information Aurelia because I, I'll be honest with you I did that like when I used to be meet with my boss I used to be like she'd be like so how are you doing or or whatever the situation would be and I was like oh I'm good I'm working on x y and z and it should be done by then and then we have this meeting and then but it's like no like take that opportunity to discuss what you want to do in the future and saying like, Hey, like, like Marisol is passionate about working on this. So when this comes up or the, it comes up to the manager, she's like, I know who to give it to and how to get started. Or maybe you don't want to continue doing the same work you're doing now and say like, is there an opportunity for me to do a different kind of work? Right. That's like the moment of when you're able to have that conversation And I think it goes back to like being a good manager and having a good manager is, is it's really important when entering the workforce. So like mentorship is something that I that I truly, truly am a big advocate because I have had really great mentors that have guided me and provided so much direction and not make me feel lost because you can feel very lost when when entering the workforce. Yeah, mentors are so important. It's so good to find someone that you can uh, really learn from and, and ask questions of and that will be sort of really honest with you and share with you what it's really like and, and give you direction on how to move forward. Uh, there's... That's, um, you know, sort of two different types of folks that you want to be conscious of that you're really seeking out. One is the mentor, of course. And so a mentor is somebody that has walked the path that you want to walk, right? So they've either been in the role that you want to be in in the future, or they have the type of responsibility that you, um, you know, one day hope to carry as well. Uh, and so the, the reason why that's valuable is because they're going to be able to give you very specific advice on how to navigate the environment that you are in, in your, in your workplace. Uh, and so that's why they're really valuable. The, the second kind of relationship that you're going to want to start to build is with a sponsor. And so often people get confused between, behind, you know, what is a mentor? What is a sponsor? You know, yeah. they, uh, yeah, they, they can sometimes be the same person, right? Like you could have a mentor who is also a sponsor, but a sponsor is somebody who has a position of influence and they may or may not be in a role that you want in the 
the future. But the key point is that they're influential. They have a position of power or influence within your organization. And so the reason why they're valuable to you is because if they know you and they know what you, your goals and what you're good at, you know, the things we were just talking about, the things that you enjoy doing, then they are going to be the ones that are going to throw your hat in the ring when those opportunities come up, even if you're not in the room, right? Like they're going to have you in the in their back pocket as the person that they're going to pitch or the person they're going to advocate for. And, and so those are really, really valuable relationships to nurture. And they tend to also be kind of time limited, right? Like Imagine like these people who are very influential and have positions of power, they usually have their like little crew of people that they're, uh, you know, kind of pitching at the time. They're like go to folks. Uh, But then, you know, after a year or so, uh, they tend to sort of move on and they they take other people under their wing, right? So these sponsors, your 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 time, the life cycle with them, the opportunity that you have with them tends to be limited. So you also want to sort of note, note that and take advantage of it, right? Like if you have a really powerful sponsor that you can work with, uh, you know, make make use of that relationship as much as you can while you have their attention before they, you know, move on to somebody else and pitch somebody else. So yeah, you definitely want to think about mentors and think about sponsors. Yeah, it's it's important to have both. And I think sponsorship, I did not know about that until I think one of your workshops that you provided for Hope, I was like, wow, you need both because you were like, I remember during the workshop, you were like, can you like recall a mentor? And I was like, yeah, I have mentor like right away. But then they were like, when you asked, you have a sponsor, I was like, what is a sponsor? Like, and then you started explaining, like, it's an advocate that ha- that is like influential. And then you started explaining, I was like, I do not have one. And I, and it's, to be honest, as a woman of color, sometimes it can be hard to find a sponsor because I don't know, I just have like this, this certain feeling. But I think that's one of my biggest goals in, in, in coming up is like try to find a sponsor so that they can advocate for me when when the right opportunity comes and they remember of me when 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 it's time (laughs) yeah totally it's building those relationships right and and you know it's that skill that we're building it's those habits that we're breaking to get ourselves out there and it can sometimes take time uh you know the most natural one is to find the the mentor first right and then um hopefully that person has a little bit of influence and, and can be that sponsor the first one. And um, I think what happens is that then naturally after that, you get connected in to more influential people. Uh, and and as you, as you sort of learn and flex these relationship skills, you get better at recognizing them when they're around you, right? Because yeah, <laughs> I think like, that's part of it too. <laughs> yeah, I think that's part of it too, is that we don't even realize that some of the people that we're connected to could potentially be really, um, really great you know, influencers and sponsors, right? So it just takes time and practice. But now that now that you all know sort of that you should be looking for both, you'll probably notice the, them out there more often. Yeah, for sure. It's like when you like when you choose like the word of the year and every time you it comes up, you know, like you see it more because you have like put it out there and you're like being very intentional. So I think you're able to like pin, pin it faster when you're like working on the thing and and stuff like that but i but i really appreciate you providing all this great information i know all my listeners really appreciate and i know that another area of expertise of yours is 
salary negotiations, which is another thing that you have to learn when entering the workforce or finding your first your first job. Um, can you provide you know some tips on how to have the mindset when negotiating a salary or or even asking for for a raise? You can say. Yeah, yeah. So uh, definitely, you know, learning to negotiate and advocate for yourself is um, a, a skill that we all have to learn and that we tend to also fall back on just our patterns and our habits when it comes to doing this, right? So um, what I've learned is that there are some key things that we need to do to be able to shift our, our mindsets to to even just get ourselves to negotiate. So oftentimes you hear that um, the reason why women earn less is because they they don't ask, right? So uh, they say, well, if women would just ask for more money, then they would probably get it. Um, but sure, there is the, um, if you look at the data and the research, it shows that women tend to not ask for the same amounts of salary or raises as often. But that's not the full picture. You know, if we look deeper into the research that's being done on this is that there are um, other factors that come into play. So for women, there's a, a real social cost um, to negotiating, right? And so um, what I mean by social cost is that there was a study done on women and men that would ask for higher salaries, that would negotiate their initial salary when they go to an interview. And so when men negotiate that, that first offer, um, the employers are a little less likely to hire the, the man that negotiates, just a little bit, right? Like the, the numbers go down versus, say, a man who doesn't negotiate, they just accept their first offer, right? The employer automatically is you know, willing to hire them. But if you look at the data for women, when a woman negotiates on that first offer, the employer is a lot less likely to hire her, right? Wow. There is this social cost that goes on there, right? So for women, we have to really read the room. We have to see if the environment is, uh, you know, conducive for negotiating, right? Because we don't want to accidentally shoot ourselves in the foot, right? And not get the offer. Or the same thing happens when um, the conversation of raises comes up, right? So we have to really understand the environment and know if it's going to be detrimental, or if it's actually going to, you know, help us. And, um, you know, that takes a lot of skill and planning and, and um, you know, effort into figuring it out. Um, but I don't, I don't share that information to say that we should shouldn't ask for more, that we shouldn't negotiate, like we absolutely should. It's just, uh, you know, I want to sort of like debunk that myth of like, oh, if women just asked, then, uh, you know, they'd get more, but that's not the case. Like, it's a lot harder for us to negotiate and get what we want. Um, so, you know, with that in mind, um, something else to consider is that, you know, in the US, the average number of times people go back and forth in a negotiation is three. Uh, and so I tell people, you know, if we know that, if we know that that's the average number, then you you have to negotiate, right? Like if you get an offer and you don't do the back and forth, you know, that means, you know, three is they make the offer, you counter, and then the third one, uh, you you accept the, the one that they counter you back with. Um, that's the standard, right? So you generally should not say yes on the first offer. You should at least counter a little bit and then accept the next one, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so I, if we if we adopt that mindset that no matter what, I'm always going to negotiate, 
then you'll be better off, right? Uh, so that's something that I always tell people, like, just get it in your head. No matter what, I always negotiate. Uh, that's one way. Uh, but here's the thing. As human beings, we can be really, like, tricky with our own minds. We can we can trick ourselves out of everything. So we Yes, can- we can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I-, I could make that promise to myself that I will always negotiate. But when it comes to the moment that might not be enough, you know, that just might not be the case. I might shy away from it. Uh, And so we have to leverage other uh, mindset tools to be able to get ourselves to actually do it. And so another one that works for people is to imagine your favorite mentor or your favorite role model. Like it could be your family. It could be someone in your family. It could be a celebrity that you really admire. Uh, So for me, it's always imagining my dad. My dad was a wonderful person in my life, so influential. And I always looked at him as the person who knew exactly what to do at every moment. And so I always imagine to myself, like, how would my dad handle this situation? What would he do? And so then I put myself in kind of like his shoes of like, okay, I'm just going to do what he would do. Like, this is what he would do. So that's how I'm going to approach this. Um, and for other people, it might be, uh, you know, even somebody that you might not know, like say Michelle Obama or Beyonce, right? Like, what would they do? They would for sure negotiate on their first mm-hmm. offer, right? Like they would not take that first, uh, you know, bit of money that they've been given, right? Like they're going to ask for more. And so for other people, that perhaps the promise to yourself that you negotiate isn't enough. But if you always ask yourself, what would Beyonce do? Then that might be the trick, right? Like that might get you out of your own comfort zone to actually negotiate for yourself. So it's a little tricky at the beginning, like really, you know, it's making those mindset shifts, but knowing the data shows that if we're negotiating, the average is three times back and forth, we should be doing it. And knowing that women have, uh, you know, historically not been given the amount or offered the amounts that they deserve, knowing that you should negotiate is going to get you that higher salary. Yep, for sure. We for sure need to close that 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 wage gap that exists, and especially for Latinas, which is like fifty four cents to 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 a dollar for a white man. We need to every day. We need we need to you know provide tips and 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 most importantly change our mindset when it comes to salary negotiations because we need to start making we need to start closing that gap. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And we can, right? Like that is the beginning of it is us being building awareness around our own behaviors and recognizing that uh, sometimes it's, even though there's a lot of external factors that are keeping us from getting these salaries that we deserve, uh, that a lot of it is also it's a combination, I will say. It's a combination of our own uh, mindset holding us back. And also the external factors that impact us that we have no control of over. Yeah. 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 So it's the two things. Yeah, 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 for sure. But it's, 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 I think the awareness and saying, you know what? No, like I have to do it because the future generations will come back to me and say, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you prepare a good workforce for me? Why didn't you negotiate? That's some of the times, that's the way I think I'm like, my future generations, you know, like my little nieces, if I don't create a good workspace or a good workforce for them, then they're going to come back and say, why didn't you do this? So that's, that's mm, something that so I, true. so to, true. 
tend to think about. Bueno, this has been such a great conversation. And I usually the last question I really love to ask my guest is, what do you do for self-care and for self-love? <laughs> yes, I love that you asked this because this is also one of my favorite questions to ask people. I tend to say, uh, how do you rejuvenate? Uh, but I, I think it gets at that same core idea, um, w- which is so important, right? So, you know, I'm a big believer in helping ourselves uh, and helping us move past burnout, which is built into the American culture, you know, work and work and work and uh, having huge goals and ambitions and not making time for ourselves and the trouble with finding our worth in the work that we do. And so I, I really believe we have to separate that and we have to find our worth in, in just who we are, regardless of what we do and what we achieve in life, we're still worthy of happiness and joy and fulfillment. And that comes separately often. Uh, and, and learning to separate the two is so important. Um, so separating it for me means doing the things that I really just enjoy doing. There's so much stuff that I like to do that's totally different than the work that I do. So oftentimes I'm behind the computer or I'm talking with people or doing presentations. And so uh, some of the things that I like to do to rejuvenate have to do with me using my hands. So I love creating with my hands. So I, I like to sew and make my own clothes. I learned how to sew when I was a kid by my mom. Uh, and so, yeah, I love making my own clothes. I even know how to make my own shoes is a new hobby that I've um, developed uh, over this uh, kind of shutdown time, COVID being in our homes. I learned how to make books. And so I love doing that now. It's been a new fun thing that I, le- I learned how to do is to make books. Um, but I, pretty much anything that you can use your hands for, like I'll try and I like to do. So that really gets me out of um, the computer kind of digital space. Um, it's It breaks that pattern for my thinking and my brain is to do something that's very tactical. Uh, so I love doing that. And then I also really, really love being just out in nature. So I love going hiking. I love just walking around, going to the beach, going into the forest, uh, anywhere that I could just be around nature. Uh, and I'm really into plants. So I have a ton of plants in my house that I think also comes from my mom. Uh, people say that, that like plant therapy is a real thing. And uh, actually, I really believe it because I've got a ton <laughs> of them. Um, so yeah, I really love plants too. So yeah, that's that's kind of the stuff I like. Yeah, that is so amazing. And I know, I remember when you did um, at the Young Professional Summit, you were like, can you guess what I made? And I was like, what did Noelia made? And I think it was like your shoes or, or your jeans. I don't remember what exactly it was, but I was like, wow, Noelia is so like, like you just have a creative mind that you can do everything. And I think it's so important, Noelia, too, that hobbies I also spend a lot of my time in the computer, like either when it comes to like my nine to five or, or, or working on the podcast. And I think it's so important to be able to do things outside out of the computer and the digital space. So that's something that I'm working on. And I am. And I think one of the habits that I personally picked up is like learning more recipes and cooking because I'm still working on, on the plant stuff, even, even though my mom is like really good at like keeping plants and stuff, I am having some trouble keeping my plants alive. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> it's it definitely takes practice for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, Noelia, thank you so much for for joining me in this conversation and providing so much information. I know this is going to be really, really helpful for all my listeners. And my last question to me to you is, where can we find you? Like, can you share a little bit about your like Instagram or like your website with us? Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Instagram. It's my first and last name together, Noelia Sanchez. And then if you're interested in some, uh, you know, more information about leadership development, you can go to my website that is noteworthylab.com. Perfect. And I will also add that in our show notes. Well, thank you so much, Noelia. Thank you, Marisol.